0: Well, it's really a privilege to be with you guys today. What do you want to do with the next 40 years? Just over 40 years ago, Bonnie and I were sitting where you are, not exactly where you are. This building wasn't even built then. But 40 years ago, we were, well, starting in 76, so most of you weren't around at that time. But we, were, we knew the Lord wanted to do something with our lives. And just as a quick recap, of the last 40 years Uh, we met in bible college we married Uh, my family knew i needed help other than the lord and bonnie was the help i needed so help was on the way when i got to school then we went on to serve the lord and we are with village missions now as danny was danny mentioned our ministry has involved two somewhat church plants in two communities we moved into a community and i'll share about that a little bit later on they were about 30 miles apart they had never had a pastor before they called village missions and said could you send somebody and we went and so that was our first almost 10 years of ministry then we uh, were at established church in beaver oregon and uh, a church of about 120 and pastored there for a while and then we did a true church plant in 1995. My wife and I moved uh, two teenagers and a ten-year-old into a motel room in Pacific City, Oregon, and uh, did a church plant. We there was no uh, there was no Bible preaching church in that area. Uh, the needs were great. There were uh, 1,500 to 3,000 people that lived in that community, and they had never had. And this is in the States, you know, they had never had somebody there preaching the word of God. And so we moved into a motel room. We had no place to meet. We had no place to live. Uh, but Village Missions helped sponsor us to go there and reach that community. And we were there for 15 years. The church is doing well. It's strong. And then after that, that the last basic 10 years of ministry um, we were outside of Boise, Idaho at 10 Mile Community Church a, a large a larger church. And so there's been different aspects of ministry. So as we have a chance to visit with you at lunchtime, you may have questions about different things like what what's it like to do a church plant? And I, I do church plants different than, the new philosophy of giving birth to a church. Giving birth to a church is where maybe a congregation of 300 people will take 70 people and go birth the church. We didn't do that. We knew the first Sunday at Pacific City that 10 people would be in church because five had agreed to come with my family, which was five. And so rewarding is, it's hard to, it's hard to express to you the reward of serving the Lord. Well, let's pray and get our hearts ready to look at his word. Father God, your word is so important. And you know I I wanna get it right this morning as we spend some time in your word. I wanna challenge this student body. I want to encourage them. Every believer should be all about serving you. We serve you while we prepare for future service. And so Lord, I just pray that my words would be an encouragement, would be a challenge. Lord, you know uh, my weakness, uh, and I know your strength, and that's what I rely upon today as I deliver this message with your boldness, in Jesus' name, amen. It was around 1910, and Mrs. Monroe was a young lady raising her family in the remote mountains of Colorado. In her, in her, the early 1900s, I don't know how, uh, she had come to faith in Christ uh, likely because it was so remote. And so you, you have to think, cowboys, Indians, no electricity, you know, outhouses. You, this is 1910, and it's the mountains of Colorado. Um, she, she had a Bible. She read the Bible. She came to know the Lord. I don't know exactly how, but she began to long for Christian fellowship, and some of you know what it's like if you've been in a setting where you're really kind of the only believer. I mean, maybe some of you are, in your families are like that. You're the, really, the only believer in your family, and you're kind of alone, and she, was, she felt alone, and, and she began to pray for and long for Christian fellowship. And in 1931, she prayed, so this is after many years of prayer already. She prayed, God, I've been praying for years now, I've raised my family without a pastor and without a church home, and now my daughter's doing the same. Please, Lord, send somebody into this area so my, my granddaughter doesn't have to do the same thing. And so she prayed. In 1981, around 70 years after Mrs. Monroe's initial prayer, a small group of folks 30 miles down the mountain were also praying. Now, it's kind of interesting. So if you get involved in village missions or ministry in general, you have people that are religious and you have Christians. So within this group of people were some people that truly did not know Christ as Savior, but they just thought religion would be a good thing for their community. And so a good portion of these people that were praying didn't know the Lord. Now, that's kind of a while for you to think about, but that's just the way it was. But there were several true believers there, and they, they were praying that God would send them a mountain, uh, uh, somebody on that mountain to, pray, to preach the word. They started praying 25 years after Mrs. Monroe had passed away. Meanwhile, back up on the mountain, Mrs. Monroe's daughter had not come to know Christ as Savior. But her granddaughter had. She had trusted Christ as Savior. And, and Audrey began to pray. And she, she knew that her grandmother had prayed for years. So this is many years now. So 70 years, she, she prayed. She, got, she said, God, my children need somebody besides me to encourage them spiritually. And I need it too. Please send us someone. At this same time, 100 miles away, a young couple just finishing Bible college, were on their knees before the Lord saying, we'll go wherever you want us to go. What what do you want us to do, Lord? We want to serve you. And, you know, if you have a burden to serve the Lord, I was visiting with Corey before, before this chapel time. Every time you hear something that God's doing, you kind of want to go do it. You know what I mean? And and that's the way I was always like. I hear I hear missionaries talking. I'm going, man. I want to go do that. I'm getting older, so my chances are you know are less than yours are. So we we were praying, and we got this family. Got a couple got on their knees before the Lord. Said they go where they want, and 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 they they committed themselves to serve the Lord. If you could look back over your life, maybe even before you were born. Who was it that was praying for you? I say that sometimes people go, how does somebody pray for you before you were born? My wife and I began to pray for our children before we had children and for our grandchildren, for their salvation and for their desire to to not only know Christ as Savior, but want to serve the Lord who was praying. And and the story I started with, and, and I'll just say this, you're here this morning. Because somebody prayed you here. Somebody, you may, you may meet somebody in heaven someday and go, oh, you're my great-grandson. You're the one I was praying for, great-granddaughter. We stand on the shoulders of those who've paved the way and prayed the way for us to be here. So I hope that you don't take it lightly that you're here this morning. God has you here on purpose. He wanted you to hear this old village missionary, share from God's word with you today for a reason. I never met Mrs. Monroe, the lady who had prayed for years that God would send a pastor into their area. She died before I was born. She died 25 years before the people in Livermore down the road began to pray and ask God to send them a pastor. And in 1981, this small group of folks that was praying down the road decided to take action, and they contacted a group called Village Missions and said, would you send somebody to us? Would their and this is what it's like. I'm a district rep for Village Missions, and I go and represent, I represent our ministry to churches that would otherwise be closed. And it's, it's to me, it's like going and talking to orphans and saying, could you find somebody to love us? Would you find somebody that would actually come and, and serve us? And many of these areas cannot afford their own uh, spiritual leadership. And that's where Village Missions comes in. And this group took action. They contacted Village Missions and said, can you find somebody for us? Can you send somebody here that would love us, that would preach the gospel to us, that would minister to us? And as I said earlier, at the same time, to me, God's perfect planning, Bonnie and I were on our knees before God saying, we will go wherever you want to go, us to go. But we have a particular burden for rural America. And so, Lord, if you open that door, we'd be willing to go. And time will not allow me to tell you the battle that went into the Lord getting us to where he wanted us to be. But it was a huge battle. And after that night of prayer, Bonnie and I literally on our knees saying, Lord, we're going to do what you want us to do. I went to work the next morning. And Epi Valdez, a man that I had worked for for years in a big, uh, big company in downtown Denver, called me into his office. He called me in and he was just so excited. And Epi, Epi always, always kind of liked me. And he said, Mark, he said, I have the business opportunity of a lifetime for you. I've handpicked you for this particular job. You talked about. Money and security and all these things that would be so wonderful. And, and he finished with these words, Mark, this is a great opportunity. I've handpicked you. You don't want to miss this opportunity. I think he was disappointed, puzzled, and frustrated when I said, Epi, last night my wife and I committed our lives to serve the Lord, and that's what we must do. And I left his office. Well, God's timing is always perfect, right? I've thought before, what would it have been like if Epi would have contacted me one day earlier? Well, that have swayed me at all because I bargained with the Lord. I was a really good welder. I, I was a foreman in this company, and I had told the Lord, you know, I could make a lot of money and send people out into ministry, and I could be a good Sunday school teacher. And the Lord goes, yeah, you could, but I'm not going to let you do that. I have a different call for your life. And so God's timing. Now, it would be one year before my wife and I would move to that little community of Livermore and Red Feather Lakes, Colorado, where God put us smack dab between these two communities in answer to 70 years of prayer. Now this this whole thing just kind of blows me away because I never felt I was capable to be a pastor in the first place And we moved into this small community, and all of a sudden, I'm it. I'm the only pastor for 75 miles east to west and 45 miles north to south, and there's at least three or four communities in the area. And I'm the only boots on the ground. Not that we're on our own, you know what I mean, but but you're there, and the opportunities are great. So if you're looking for opportunities and you want to go where no one else has gone, this is the type of ministry for you. Do you know how overwhelmingly humble it is to have somebody come to you and say to you, we've been praying for you to come for over 70 years. What took you so long? That's what Audrey Robinson told me one day. I looked at her and I said, Audrey, I wasn't even born 70 years ago. My dad wasn't even born 70 years ago. And I will tell you this, my family were certainly not believers and there was no direction in my parents' family that, would ever, that you would ever expect. If you went back 70 years, you would say, there will never be a preacher from this family. This family is why we send preachers out. And there we were. Imagine to be told that. Well, what is God preparing you to do? What does he have for you? And I would like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be in chapter 9 and 10 this morning. Where is he preparing you to go where you're going to be the boots on the ground? You're going to be serving him in an area where someone might come up to you someday and say, we've been praying for years for you to come. What took you so long? Believe me, that might happen to some of you. I hope that it does because you'll you'll hear my words repeated back to you. I'm pleased that you're here at Montana Bible College. What I love about this school is they are truly preparing people for ministry, and in particular, from my standpoint, for pastoral ministry, which is something few and fewer schools are doing today. You're preparing for future service. The question is, what should you remember as you prepare to go to places where people are already praying that you'll come, because some of you are going to walk on the streets someday and and meet those people. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to examine five things from Matthew 9 and 10 that will help you prepare to go to serve. Number one, point number one, remember what people without Jesus are facing. That seems like a no-brainer, right? I mean, honestly, you think about it. What, what do people without, a, without Christ get? What hope do they have? What do they have to look forward to? What are people without Jesus facing? That's the first thing for us to realize in Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 35 with me. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest." So following the Lord's example, we see that knowing what was in store for the unredeemed, and Christ certainly knew, right? Jesus went out proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel, the good news, this was Jesus' proclamation. Pastor John MacArthur said Jesus was motivated by his divine compassion and motivated because of man's lost condition. And Jesus goes out and he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. Now, four statements, and there's a lot in these verses that we, we can't possibly look at, and, and that's what you're going to be doing in Bible study methods and preaching one and preaching two and all that. But there's some things that we see about these people, four statements that are made about these people that Jesus is proclaiming to. It says they were diseased and afflicted or sick, depending on your translation. That is, they were sick, they were without a physician, and you can imagine what Jesus' ministry is like. He was going through these villages and healing sicknesses and diseases. That would draw a following, I would think. And then it says two other things. It says they were harassed and they were helpless. The word harassed or distressed, this speaks of the results of difficulties, inward difficulties, the outward difficulties, inward difficulties that produce weariness. So it would be talked about they were spiritually defeated. These people were frustrated. They knew what religion was like, many of them, but they had no hope. And then the word helpless means to be defenseless, to be without help. And if you've played any sports at all, especially football, you know what it's like when the line doesn't block for the quarterback, right? So there was no defense. There was nobody guarding. And so please note that the first two conditions were physical conditions, and and Jesus Easily met those physical conditions, but the last two conditions mentioned were matters of the heart, and matters of the heart are always much more difficult in dealing with than just physical difficulties. That's why we so often we pray we're, we're praying for um, spiritual or sp- praying for physical healing for people, and uh, we sometimes overlook the need for spiritual healing, right? Which is far greater. Physical healing was easy for Jesus, right? When Jesus worked a miracle, he wasn't impressed. You know, the first time he turned in water into wine, he's going, "Whoa, look at that! That's cool. I didn't see that one coming." You know, lame man walking. Dick Peter look at that dude? Is walking? Ooh, I'm bad. I'm bad. Just like Jesus wasn't like, "Wow." I, Jesus wasn't impressed with himself. Now, if I worked a miracle, you can use that in the future, right? <laughs> I mean, when Jesus worked miracles, he wasn't impressed. Jesus was just acting natural. He was the God of the universe, you know? I, I heard a preacher say one time, how, how would Jesus make pizza? Pizza! Boom. Wouldn't that be cool? It's like pizza party at my house, you know? He was God. This was not difficult for him. And so to, to heal these physical ailments that they had, was so simple. He was the creator. He could recreate anytime he wanted to. But the spiritual difficulties were far greater. In his book, Counterfeit, Counterfeit Miracles, B.B. Warfield wrote, when our Lord came down to earth, he drew heaven with him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory he brought from heaven. No wonder Christ did miracles. In fact, somebody said when Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead, he had to call him by name or everybody would have risen from the dead. He was the son of God. And so this wasn't an issue. But the healing of the heart issue was why he came, right? He didn't come to, because everybody Jesus physically healed when he was here died. Even Lazarus, who he brought back from the dead died, right? We must be careful when we think about our position to not over-elevate mankind, thinking that when Jesus looks at man, he's looking at the diamond in the rough. You know, he sees a hidden jewel in you. There is no diamond. There is no jewel. Apart from Christ, you are so desperately, and I am so desperately Dark and sick and wicked? And so Jesus isn't going mining for the diamond. But he makes diamonds, right? G. Campbell Morgan wrote this, There is no reason in man that, man that God should save him. This need was born of his own compassion. No man has any claim on God. Why then should man be cared for? Why should he not just become the prey of the ravening wolf, having wandered from the fold? God could have met every demand of his righteousness and holiness by handing man over to the doom brought upon themselves. But deepest in the being of God, holding in its energizing might of both holiness and righteousness, is love and compassion. As the Puritan writer Thomas Watson wrote, we may force the Lord to punish us, but we never have to force him to love us. For God so loved the world... That he sent his only begotten son can you imagine that god intentionally chose to love you so physical healing wasn't enough and this really brings us into chapter 10 and we want to pick up uh, back in 35 935 and work our way into chapter 10 to catch the context jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He then said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest. And so Jesus summoned the twelve and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness i think it's easy to capture this idea jesus said pray to the lord of the harvest and get busy now i want to tell you i could have easily i i i pray for montana bible college i pray we get some village missionaries from montana bible college i pray that you would be faithful in serving the lord but I also have the chance to come and share with you the good news of God's Word and remind you of why you're here. So pray and go. So first we remember what people without Christ are facing. Second, we remember that we have been empowered for the task. We don't go powerlessly. The same authority that was given the Lord's first disciples have also, has also been given to us. Now I understand we don't go around healing diseases and sickness. But we have been given the power of the gospel, the honor to share, to rescue people that are perishing. We have this power of the gospel that we can present. We can tell people that my God forgives sins. And he does so freely, not because of who you are, because Christ has paid the penalty like Danny prayed earlier at the beginning of chapel. We proclaim the power of the gospel and have the privilege to be used of God to deliver people from sin and hell. And that's huge. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. So remember what people without Christ are facing. Remember that we've been empowered for the task. Third, remember that we are compelled to follow procedure. Now, if you look at the New Testament, you'll see there's a number of times when it comes to ministry where God actually outlines and gives some principles for procedures in ministry. This is one of those sections of Scripture. I'll just quickly go through them, but we're, we're told seven basic things, and so... This is the nightmare of a pastor, okay, because have, I have five points I'm trying to give you, and then I give you seven points, and I give you four points, and so you'll understand what that's like someday, okay? But here's like 7 subpoints, all right? <laughs> We're told who to go to in verses five and six, right? So this, you can just check this out later on. We're told what to proclaim. Verse seven says, as you go... Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me tell you, young people, there's a lot of interesting topics out there today. There's a lot of people willing to post their opinions on Facebook. But there's nothing like the gospel. Do not get distracted on other issues that are unimportant, really. We're told how to give. It says, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, Freely you received, freely give. I just say this because, listen, I've been, at some, I've been at some churches where there's some very stingy people. Have you? Generous looks good with God's people. You have been given the gospel. Freely give it away. Now, I will tell you, the disciples went out and they did some healing. And they may have healed people back in the day, Maybe these people came to know the Lord. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I guarantee you, if you were to interview people in heaven today and say, oh, yeah, Peter healed you, right? No, no, that wasn't the big thing. He shared the gospel with me. I'm in heaven today because Peter talked about Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and I trusted Christ as Savior. That's the big deal. That healing, ah, it's nothing. nothing. We're told how to prepare and what to take in verses 9 and 10, which basically is you're going to go out in faith. You can collect all the gold you want to, you know, but it's going to be a faith walk. The fifth thing, we're even told where to stay in verse 11, and you can apply that as you go out. Number six, We're told how to greet a new location. We're to bless some and leave the blessing and sometimes to take the blessing back. And then uh, number seven, we're told when to leave. And those are just procedures for you to look at. There's other passages of Scripture that you'll study through. But I will say this. It's good for you to keep in mind that when you go out in the ministry, you don't just have to make it up as you go. (laughs) That God's Word will actually give you some direction if you spend time in God's Word for what to do. Now, back to the question, what do you remember as you're prepared to go? Well, you remember what people without Christ are facing. You remember you've been empowered for the task. You remember that you've been given a procedure to follow. And number four, remember there will be resistance. There will be resistance. I know that I'm running out of time. I will encourage you to spend time focusing in verses 16 through 39, because you have a lot of free time, right? You're in Bible college, (laughs) Or is that next semester when you do two New Testament survey, right? (laughs) You will face resistance. Some of you are here in school and it's in resistance to your family, right? I teach at Ecola Bible College. I've taught there for 27 years now. And each one of the first things I ask in each class is how many of you are here in opposition to your family? How many of you are the only believers in your family? How many of your families think that you're totally insane, that you would throw your life away and do this? I am always amazed at how many are there on their own. There will be resistance. (coughs) Verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 17, beware of men. Uh, They will hand you over. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death father, is child, the children against their parents. Um, there's going to be times of resistance. We're told to have a proper fear, verse 26, do not fear them, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but whether fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in heaven. So have a proper perspective and fear for God. We're reminded of our value in the later verses, 29 through 31, we're more valuable than a sparrow. Uh, we're told that there will be a sword of division. My, my dad came to know the Lord, and um, he, from a, from a really rough background, he came to know the Lord and decided to go to Moody Bible College, and my grandfather was totally opposed to my dad going to Moody Bible College. In fact, my grandfather cussed my dad out as my dad was getting in his car to leave and drive from Akron, Ohio to Chicago, Illinois to go to Moody Bible College as a new believer, and um, he... He was so angry with my dad. In fact, he told my dad, he said, you probably don't even have enough money to drive to Chicago. My dad had 50 cents in his pocket, by the way. And he said, you know, and so this was the early 50s, but even then, that's not going to get you to Chicago. My grandfather said, you blankety blank kid, you don't have enough money to even get there. And he said, he said, God will provide. He said, how much money do you have, young man? He said, God will provide. He said, how much money do you have? And my dad said, Anything cents. My grandfather reached in his pocket and threw a wad of bills in the window and my dad, and my dad looked out the window and he said, See? (laughs) (laughs) He who loves he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The last point, and I got to finish this up because time is out. Remember your reward. Remember your reward. Verse 39 says, He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So 20 years elapsed. We all knew. My dad's story. We knew that my grandfather was opposed to my dad going to Moody. And now I'm married. I have my own family. And and I have a dad that's so supportive of me in ministry. And I just don't, I just wonder how, you know, how I just think how wonderful it is that he he's my cheerleader. He's always encouraging me. But my dad's still living. And he still calls up and encourages me. They know I'm preaching here this morning. They're they're praying for my time with you so I asked dad, I said, dad, you know, I, I mean, you told me about how rough it was when, when you went to Moody and how angry granddad was. Did granddad ever tell you he was proud of you? I mean, because every son needs to know that from his dad, right? My dad said, no, son, your grandfather never even once came to heard me preach. I didn't know that. My grandfather had never come to hear my dad preach even one time. He had years of opportunities. My dad was in rural ministry, so he wasn't in that area all the time. There is a cost, but the reward is much greater. Did we mess out on an opportunity those 36 years ago when we went to Redfeather? I can assure you we did not. Sometime in the winter of 1983, we were having Bible study, so we ended up doing two ministries. I wasn't fit to do one, and I'm doing two, which just was a head-scratcher for me, you know. But we did church on Wednesday evenings up at Red Feather Lakes, Colorado. And we're up there doing church service up there on Wednesday evenings in the Potbelly Restaurant and Lounge. If you don't know what a lounge is, it's just a bar. It's a nice way to put that, okay? Okay so the restaurant would close down and we would have church in the lounge but the building really wasn't much bigger than this room and so it was just like there was a little dividing wall there and the bar was over there and we were over here having church me and really mostly a bunch of ladies you know and so we're in having church and I was kind of preach teaching you know and I would face the group and kind of look as official as I possibly could in my early 20s and and one night in the winter of uh, 93 Steve, uh, Steve would bring his, wife to, uh, he'd bring his wife to Bible study because he didn't want her driving on the winter roads. And so he would drive her to Bible study. And he would go to the bar and he'd drink beer with his buddies. And then he would drive her home. He wanted nothing to do with her religion. But for whatever reason, partway into the winter of 93, as I'm preached teaching, Steve comes down into the Bible study church service with two beers in a chilled glass. And he sat two tables away. And he opened the beer with such triumph. And he took the beer, and I'm the only one seeing him. Okay, everybody else has their back to him. And he's dumping the beer into the glass. And he drinks that beer down and he opens the next one just as loudly. He's trying to make a point. He drank that beer down. And he went back up into the bar with his buddies. Well, after study, I had something I wanted to say to Steve. You know how you get all Christianese, right? You're all spiritual. How could you dare treat God that way when it really wasn't about God? It was embarrassing to me, right? You know. So, Steve was getting ready to walk out the door with Becky to go. Steve, he stops, and I walk up to him. And he said. Thank you for bringing Becky to Bible study. I appreciate you. Now, I got to tell you, Steve was shocked those words came out of my mouth. I was shocked those words came out of my mouth. I said, blessed is when God keeps you from saying what you'd like to say. Because that was not what I was going to say that night. The next week, partway into Bible study, Steve came down with one beer and a chilled glass and he set just one table away. Week before, two tables. He held the beer close to his chest, tried to open it quietly, tried to quietly pour it in a chilled glass. It was still very distracting, I'm just going (laughs) to tell you. And he savored that beer like no beer he's ever savored. And the third week, Steve came in to Bible study in church with his wife, Becky, with a big Bible in his hands. And soon after, trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Steve Robinson, the great-grandson of Mrs. Robinson, of Mrs. Monroe, that had started playing in 1910, that God would send a pastor to their area. That's what you have to look forward to, right? The story may be different, men and women, but God wants to use you in a mighty way. And it'll be more than you're worth, but it won't be more than what he can do, right? Lord, thank you for the privilege of being with this student body today, with the staff and faculty. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. Ready them and strengthen them as they, prayer, as they prepare to serve you and as they serve you right now, Lord. Father, we thank you that people who are already praying for them to come. So help them as they prepare, help them to be serious in their preparation, Uh, help them to serve as they prepare, and then, Lord, handpick them for where you want them to go. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.